What's going on, guys? We are back with the 50 Plus One Football Podcast, your home for all things Premier League and Bundesliga. We have a nice little host of topics for you today, but with me as always, a man who to me is like the league leaders in the Prem and the Bundesliga bottling the title race. It's Billy. Ah, nice little bit of foreshadowing about what we're going to talk about. And we start in the Bundesliga this week where, like I said, the title race is going right down to the wire. And the relegation battle with Hertha's seventh relegation in total. And we'll move to the Premier League. Newcastle are back in the Champions League for the first time in 20 years. City are officially Premier League champions again. But before we go into that, here's some things you may have missed. Gary Neville is absolutely astounded at the Mane progression, or should it be regression, at Bayern, saying, I can't believe that Sadio Mane hasn't settled in Munich. One of the best Premier League players that we've seen in the last five or six years. Bayern probably expected more. Mane expected more of himself, that he would be better. I can't believe that this transfer didn't work out at all. Of course, he's not gone just yet. There are rumours that he could potentially be on the way out. We'll stay with Bayern and... Nusser Masraoui has been berated by his own fans with a banner in the stadium against Leipzig that read, all colours are beautiful in Munich, Interlouz, everywhere. Respect our values, Masraoui, after he expressed solidarity with Zakaria Abu Khal in, in not participating with the League uh, campaign against homophobia. And finally, WDR are reporting that hotel rooms in and around Dortmund are going for €730 Euros apiece. That's without breakfast as fans are desperate to be part of a potential Meisterschale parade this coming Sunday. But without further ado, let's get straight into the Bundesliga. So much to talk about in the Bundesliga, I feel like. So much happened this past weekend. I mean, might as well just get right down to it. Title race is going down to the wire, but we had a change in first and second place, didn't we, Billy? We did indeed. And I called it last episode that the result that all the neutrals want to see, it was either a draw or a Leipzig win. I didn't expect it to be, I don't know, as much as a hammering as it was in the end, I suppose. Because second half, I think... Bayern just well, didn't turn up. The wheels fell off. Yeah, I mean, you could. There is an argument to be made that around the thirty-minute mark, the real the wheels already fell off, because you know if if you think about it, Bayern, you know, I think even the commentator for Sky Sports uh, said, you know, if Leipzig don't watch out, they could really, you know, be dragged under the dragged under Bayern's wheels now. Um, and he said that, you know, a couple of minutes after the one nil. It all seemed to be going according to plan. And then the 30th minute happened, just everything fell apart. Like you said, the wheels came off, nothing happened. You know, they kind of saved themselves into, or they, they saved themselves, or they were saved by the bell uh, with the halftime whistle. And then the second half was just all Leipzig. And Leipzig are... The, the the counterattack, I think there's been some criticism. Should it have been a foul in the build-up to Lima's goal? I'm just going to put it out there and say, foul or not, Bayern would have lost that game. It, it, just, it didn't matter how the goals happened. They were going to happen. You know, it, it's just fitting that 
Pavard, who's been one of the more solid defenders this season, gives away a penalty stupidly. Uh, Masrawi, he just he had a relatively good game as well in the first half, and he's you know ever since the the uh, injuries have affected Bayern's back line, he's he's filled the gaps and he's kind of you know finally settled at Bayern. But you know if you just whack and completely whiff a ball in a clearance from a corner kick and because you whiff it, the ball then hits your arm. It kind of is just a perfect picture of what Bayern's season has been like. And, you know, obviously the 3-1 was more of an afterthought. I think I think uh, the title race might just be over. Well, stranger things have happened. You know, Dortmund still have to win their last game. We'll talk about Dortmund in a minute. It's going to be a couple of things. Quickly, it's going to be very awkward for Conrad Leimer if he walks in, if he walks into that dressing room over the summer, having been you know one of the players that started the downfall. And how long do you give Thomas Tuchel b- before it b- starts to become a coaching issue? Because yeah, okay, the bosses have have made mistakes. They've not done well. They need sorting out separately but how long does it then become a case of okay well these players were playing relatively well under Julian Nagelsmann lost three games under him in total three yeah we've already got more losses since Tuchel took over with you know, four you, losses. you've lost almost double yeah, there were. I think. I think the exact stats were under Nagelsmann. There were on average three point zero three goals a game, and under Tuchel, they've scored just one point eight two goals a game on average. Which that's you know, not, isn't great. That's not necessarily down to Tuchel because Nagelsmann for a period had Lewandowski. You get a number that nine. Is true. You get a number that nine. It could, it could completely change because you know Delict is solid. Teo Hernandez, not Teo Hernandez, Lucas Hernandez is back in training. But if a coach isn't getting a tune out of the players, the coach has to go. And I said to you during the week, I'm going to call it now. He'll be gone before Christmas. I mean, if if you take a look at what uh, some experts, you know, Lothar Matthäus being one of the most prominent ones have said, you have to start asking questions of the coaches now, uh, as, as of now, because whether you like it or not, you know, obviously he came into one of, if not the worst possible point in time you could have taken over as a manager at Bayern. But at the end of the day, he's had two months. In two months, a star coach arguably could, maybe even should, be getting somewhat of a turnaround. And there are those who say the team's gotten worse under Tuchel, which... I can, I would say somewhat yes and no. Yes, mainly being because the results have just gone worse and worse. And, you know, within the span of two weeks, we managed to piss away two title chances. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's... Tula was coming into a lose-lose situation. The only argument to play devil's advocate to that is... 
he knew what situation he was getting himself into and he still took the job at the end of the day but you know i i don't know how much of it is down to to Tuchel. if you take a look at a poll done on sport 1 uh 59% of sport 1 users have said the current state of affairs is Tuchel's fault i say it's hard to basically have an objective look at Tuchel's time without giving him, you know, a full winter or summer break to really get to know his team and the players and kind of implement the style that he wants to. Right now it just has a very very big or there's just a big aura around the club that this team is just, you know, like an F1 car that's basically taking hits to the front wing, the rear wing, the tires are all blown and they're just dragging themselves to the finish line. That is basically Bayern in a nutshell right now. Well, we can uh, unpack this next week depending on the results of the final weekend this coming Saturday. Let's leave Bayern. Let's go over to Dortmund where there's something going on. We could end up with a fairy tale ending for a player yeah. who only made his debut in January after recovering from testicular cancer. Well, yeah, I mean, if you look at what Sebastian Haller has done, especially now when you've got, um, you know, you've got him scoring a brace in the in up till now the penultimate game for Dortmund. Um, when Dortmund's needed him, he's definitely delivered. Uh, there is no two ways about it. You know, he was completely out of out of you know the footballing world basically for the longest time with testicular cancer, and everyone uh, was just gunning for him to come back. You know, I said to you, he'll probably need this this half a year to kind of get into the swing of things again and kind of you know get back to his former former uh form really but he hasn't he's just gone and stored and just stormed or taken the lead by storm really if if you want to take it or take a you know more extreme route you know he's just kind of really been one of the focal points for Dortmund and you know if you take a look at it this season he's scored nine goals and had three assists that's not too shabby for someone who was you know having chemotherapy just 6 months ago it's not just Alaire i think it's fantastic because he's back you know Julian Brandt has reinvented himself i don't know how or where it's come from but he's having the, the season of his life rafael guerrero in a midfield position yeah completely reinvented and i think I know you might not want to hear this but I think the footballing world needs Marco Royce to lift that trophy. I mean I I'm not particularly warm to Marco Royce uh because I think in recent years he's kind of you know he's just kind of not been the captain that Dortmund needs but you know I'm not completely blinded by red and white to be able to see that I think if anyone deserves it on that Dortmund team it probably is Royce just for the fact that he's shown the utmost loyalty 
to Dortmund in the last 10 years. You know, he had offers. He could have gone anywhere. He he could have he could have ended up at Bayern. He could have ended up at uh, United. Um, funnily enough, or two clubs. Uh, he could have ended up. He could have gone to a lot of different clubs. Um, I'd imagine, especially in his prime, he stuck with Dortmund, and it probably would be the the second fairy tale ending. Almost, you know, if Halea lifts the trophy after having just beaten testicular cancer six months ago, and Royce lifts the trophy after having, you know, stuck with Dortmund for his whole career. It doesn't get much more fairy tale ending than that. You know, whereas on the flip side, you would have, if Bayern still managed to win it, you would just be saying that it's, you know, it's the worst possible thing that could actually happen for German football because it means no matter how bad Bayern are, no one can take the title away from them. Just another little caveat in there as well. It could be a fantastic ending to his time at Dortmund for Jude Bellingham. Touch and go whether he's going to be fit. He missed the game against Augsburg with an injury. Hoping, dare I say, to be fit for the final game against Mainz. But if he does go, it'll just be another reason and another advert like we've seen with Jaden Sancho, like we've seen with other... English youngsters you don't have to stay you can leave the UK, you can leave the English leagues go abroad and be successful, obviously Jude Bellingham is an exception but yeah, you know, he's probably one of the you know the generational talents that England haven't had since you know the time of Lampard, Scholes and Gerard and Beckham big praise but we can talk about potential fairy tale endings we can you know get you some therapy if needs be next week so let's leave the top of the table let's talk bottom of the table and Hertha Berlin officially relegated for the seventh time arguably in one of the worst ways possible I mean it doesn't get much more at the death than that you know, Berlin, they looked to have kept their, you know, hopes alive for the longest time. You know, they were leading 1-0. They were holding on to it. It seemed to be going okay. You know what I mean? And then you just, at the very death of that game, Kevin Schlotterbeck heads home the equalizer and you know it it doesn't get much more knife to the heart than than that because it sealed the deal for Bochum they they managed to scratch and claw a point out of that game which they arguably should have or they I mean before the game they definitely should be should have had the the or the the goal of winning that comfortably because Berlin were already in a state so it was already surprising that Berlin even managed to have it. But, you know, like I said, it doesn't get much more at the death. It's been coming for a long time. And I've got very... 90 plus four. 90 plus four. <laughs> well, I, look, a lot of that stadium probably thought they were okay for another week. 
but I've got yeah. no sympathy. I've got zero sympathy for them because it's a, a problem of their own making. They've spent ridiculous amounts of money on lower than average players. Yeah. Or players past their you know, past their prime. Like Stefan Jovetic has had a couple of caveats, but you know, Kevin Prince Berteng, fine, whatever. The but fact you... that Kevin Prince Boateng was has played for Barca, just just let that sink in. And Portsmouth. Yeah, but I mean, in more recent history, like Portsmouth, that was 2010. I think the most famous thing he did at Portsmouth was to uh, basically snap Mijael Balak's career in the German national team in half. Okay, a little bit, <laughs> a little bit bitter about that. Just a tad bit. Just a tad. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, he butchered one of our nation's greatest midfield players in half. Oh yeah, okay, fair enough. No, nah, it shouldn't be the only thing he's known for. You know, I think he's more well known for what he did at Eintracht Frankfurt when, um, you know, obviously. And AC Milan. Yeah, I think I I, I clearly clearly remember one of his goals was celebrated by uh, Ibrahimovic just like smacking him upside the head mid mid celebration. He, uh, he also celebrated a Scudetto by uh, dressing up as Michael Jackson and dancing to Billie Jean <laughs> in, a, in a packed San Siro as well. They made a little stage so he could moonwalk. Great. But <laughs> he's uh, he's not played very well this season. And no, I mean, he's barely played. <laughs> well, not, none of them have. You know, we went through it last week, so I'm not going to go through the players again, but there's no one in that team. No. That that's made you go. Oh, I'll tell you what. Maybe they're worth a punt. I mean, Dodi Lukabakio will leave because he's in a good team. He's he's pretty decent for Wolfsburg. He was pretty good. But I think. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. Seventh time, only Nuremberg and Bielefeld have been relegated more. Yeah, it doesn't help for a club of that size with their neighbours across the city doing so much better with so much less it is the equivalent of everton getting champions league football and liverpool getting relegated exactly well let's talk about the others because there was a surprise 4-1 win for stuttgart over mainz which probably doesn't fill you with a lot of hope that mainz can get a result on saturday oh hell no <laughs> But, That's why I've already. I basically, I've basically made. I've made my peace with it. You know, at this point, Dortmund, Dortmund won't let them. Don't. They won't give this away. They can't possibly give this away. I'm glad you've made your peace with it. I'm. I'm glad I'm not sat here talking to a man in denial. Oh, who would I be to deny this? Because it just, it, it just is a fact. There's too much. Dortmund are too good at this point. Because, they may have uh, had their slip ups, but they're too good. Denial is just a river in Africa. So a 4-1 win for Stuttgart. Oh <laughs> that was his dad, Jesus Christ, dad joke of the year. Couldn't help it. I could not help it. So Oof. Schalke on 31 points. Bochum and Stuttgart now on 32. Augsburg on 34. There is a possibility that Augsburg are very much still in this. I had a, I had a look at this earlier. I did a little bit of of maths earlier. Ooh. Uh let me just have a look. 
because I think there needs to be something stupid. Yeah, here we go. Stuttgart will be safe if they win. If Stuttgart draw and neither Schalke or Bochum win, they are safe. It's virtually impossible for Hoffenheim to finish in a relegation playoff place unless there is a 26-goal swing between yeah. Hoffenheim and Werfel Bochum. So I'm not, barring some ridiculous match-fixing-esque, you know, 37-0 win for Bochum, <laughs> I'm not including Hoffenheim. But if, if Bochum and Stuttgart both win, and uh, and Augsburg don't. There's a very real possibility they could end up in that playoff place. Oh yeah, and put it this way: Schalke are, you know, they just they just didn't luck out with with the way the draw went for you know obviously for the for the matches that were that were when for when they were terminated, like they were they were, you know, if you've if you've got Leipzig at the for the last match day, and you desperately need points. The only thing that Schalke may be able to have in their, you know, on their side is the fact that Leipzig have Champions League in the bag. There's no possibility of them getting anywhere near the title race. There already wasn't last week. Um, for Leipzig, it's a nothing game. Their season is already pretty much finished. So could Schalke have? You know, some luck. I don't know. Augsburg have Gladbach, who can be anything and everything, form-wise. They could have their worst game. They could have their best game. You don't know what you're going to get from them, which is one of the problems, I think, that, you know, the only thing I will say is it's going to be a farewell for quite a few players this weekend. You know, you know you've got Marcus Turam. And uh, Ben Sabaini and Hoffman? No, the no, other no, one. No, no. The other one. Stindl. Lars Stindl is leaving. Uh, uh, they are leaving Gladbach and obviously in Kunku. It's not official, official yet, but will be going to Chelsea. So you're saying that Nkunku might want to like pull one out of the bag for, well, for Leipzig's last I'm just, match? I'm just gonna say, you know, if you if you're gonna send, if you're gonna leave, score a hat trick, send Schalke down. <laughs> also, I mean, be interesting to know, you know that celebration he does with the balloon. Yeah, if there's Nas in that, like helium, like laughing gas. <laughs> not not even that. I'm just trying to work out if he plays for Chelsea, is there gonna be a blue balloon? Or is it red by choice? Ooh. Because Leipzig... I, you know, I don't know. I know there's red on the kit, but they are predominantly a white kit. Yeah. And where does he keep it? Does he keep it in his sock? I don't know. It has to be. Or or he has, like, someone who specifically has the job of holding his balloon, like one of the ball boys. He just goes over pre-match, and he's like, you got to give me this when we score. Simple as. I look forward to the ball boy doing that at Chelsea next season. Just one final thing before we move on to the Premier League. Not completely set for Union in the Champions League place. It's a surprise 4-2 loss to Hoffenheim. And uh, Freiburg, despite losing to Union a couple of match days ago, still very much in this. So again, Yeah, because yeah, level on points. It's only goal difference. Title, relegation and top four 
place, all coming down to the final day. And all games kick off at the same time. It's fantastic. I love it. Uh, and I'm going to be sad when it's over. Well, yeah, I mean, one more, one more little anecdote. By some miracle, Serge Gnabry could still win the Golden Boot this season. <laughs> Just think about that. So could Kola Moani. So could a lot of players, actually. So could, you think about it. So could Kunku. So could Grifo. Exactly. <laughs> you know, four goals for Marcus Turam. It's not unheard of. Yeah, but you know, given his given his uh, form recently, um, just one thing before we actually finally do move on to the Premier League. The real Meisterschaden has already been sent to Dortmund, whereas a replica will be in Köln. That makes total sense, seeing as Dortmund are first and they do have the advantage. But how awkward would that be if Bayern had a shit season? And then lifted a replica Bundesliga Schade, still getting the title on the last match day. I think it would break German football. When you say fake, is it like a, it's cardboard, a replica? Is it like a cardboard cutout one? You know, like you can buy. No, 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 no. it's like a, it's, a, it's like a proper replica. It's just not the original. Like... Okay, so it's not like the cardboard ones you can buy in the club shop. <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay. no. <laughs> I just let them have it anyway because I think that would be the perfect indictment of the buying season. Uh, yeah, we will talk about that next week. But now, let's move over to the Premier League. Salah! So, Billy, before we have a look at Manchester City, which I know you're dying to do, why don't we talk about a club in the Northeast... Newcastle United are back in the Champions League for the first time in 20 years. I believe you have a team picked out from 2003. I do indeed. The team that played Barcelona on the 19th of March 2003, the last game Newcastle played in the Champions League. Shea Given in goal. Andy Griffin, Andy O'Brien, Titus Bramble, big Titus, and Nobby Solano in the defence with uh, Ola Olivier Bernard at left-back. Kieran Dyer, Jermaine Genus and Laurent Robert, Craig Bellamy and Alan Shearer. And that came up against the Barcelona side, obviously. Victor Valdez, Anderson, De Boer, uh, Michael Ritzinger, Gabri, Mendieta, Motta, Raquel May, Fabio, Xavi and Patrick Kluivert. So that was the last team that they fielded in the Champions League. We're going to see them in the group stages, possibly beyond next season. 19th when Eddie Howe took over, 18 months ago, and let's be honest, some money spent. Just, got them, just a little bit. Just a little bit of money spent. They're in the Champions League. Is this a case of the Man City-esque Middle Eastern money coming into fruition because they've made some big money signings. They've not done what some clubs do and splurge it on every position possible. You know, 70 million on Alexander Isak, 42 million on Bruno Guimaraes, 40 million on Anthony Gordon, 37 million on Sven Botman, and 30 million on Chris Wood. 
they're not all hits. Uh, I'd argue 40 million for Anthony Gordon from Everton is the biggest theft in English football. And uh, my club lost the title on the final day to a goal in injury time caused by Joey Barton fighting. Aguero. I'm over it. It's fine. <laughs> but well, the ones, the ones yeah. that are good, Isak, Guimaraes, Botman, you know, Joe Willock to a lesser extent. Yeah. They make the average players around them so much better. Fabian Cher reinvented. Kieran it, Trippier. I'm sorry. We have to talk about Kieran Trippier. Kieran Trippier took a huge risk joining them last January when he did. Fighting relegation. And now and he's now, captained yeah. them back to the Champions League. It's paid you know, off. It has paid off. They are the only non-established big six side since the title-winning Leicester side to make it into the Champions League. And as much as I'm... I've got nothing wrong with the plaudits. I've got nothing wrong with the, the applause that Eddie Howe deservedly is getting. Yeah, because most of those players, most of those players, playing under Steve Bruce, they look destined for the championship again. Yeah, 100%. so it's, it's it's credit to Eddie Howe and the coaching staff, but it doesn't sit right with me. People like Alan Shearer. He did a like a, a piece for the Athletic. And one of his opening lines, it was, Dear Eddie, thank you for allowing us to reclaim our streets. <laughs> My man, you're the only <laughs> league club in Newcastle. Sunderland don't count because they're not in Newcastle. It's a completely different I was, thing. I was about to say, I think I think he might be thinking of Sunderland or Middlesbrough or something you close know, to Newcastle, but not much else. I, I hate to break it to you, Alan. Gateshead aren't a threat. <laughs> I know it was difficult under Mike Ashley and the, it's almost like the shackles have been thrown off because he was just an absolute leech. But this idea New Newcastle fans have that they are this sleeping giant almost <laughs> is completely false because they are only big in Newcastle. Not even that big in the Northeast, to be fair. Well, that's, <laughs> that's my point. If you're in Newcastle, Massive, fantastic, but you go on holiday to Marrakesh or something. A kid's not running up and down the street in a Hatton Ben Arthur shirt from 2010. <laughs> as much as I'd love that shirt, <laughs> I love I love Hatton Ben Arthur. We all know the real kit that everyone wants to wear is the Newcastle 2004-2005 with you know Northern Rock sponsor Adidas kit. And Santiago Munez on the back. <laughs> Santiago Munez. So, uh, it's not, again, it's the minority of fans, but it's the ones that seem to be loudest on social media, trying to make Newcastle this sort of bad boy team of the Premier League. The, you know, everyone's like, oh, you know, we've rattled everyone in the league. It's like, well, you haven't. You've got a good manager who's got, good players playing well my argument though is um yes you've got a good manager with good players playing well but they 
definitely took a leaf out of city's book because city didn't go for you know when they got the cash injection obviously um from shake Mensur, they didn't go you know full ride and try and sign every top player that you know ever existed they also went and did a slow build-up because arguably that's what newcastle have done 70 million on isak sounds like a lot but isak still you know he's he was heralded as this big talent but not much else the price tags mainly generated from newcastle spending is because everyone knew newcastle had deep pockets all of a sudden and yet they still went and said you know we're going to get players that are not that massive you know a sven botman a like you know like the players we've mentioned alexander isek um bruno Guimaraes. and all of these players they definitely were also given the time to basically you know get come to grips with the club and stuff like that and to a certain extent newcastle kept the pressure off themselves because if they'd signed someone's huge all of a sudden it would have been they have to make top four uh minimum without a shadow of a doubt and i feel like they kind of this slow build-up is giving them the time and you know you said at the beginning of the season eddie Howe probably won't be there you know in two or three years time more likely than not but he is the perfect manager to basically take newcastle from fighting relegation to now top four well that's the thing the starting 11 for newcastle by and large is it's very good yeah but now they're in the champions league they're going to be playing midweek weekend midweek weekend more than they have been with cup competitions so the likes of matt target harrison ashby paul dummer anthony gordon i don't want to say jacob murphy because he's been good but jacob murphy even Alan San Maximan, the big thing for Newcastle is good players in depth. Yeah, yeah. To be able to deal with that midweek weekend, midweek weekend. I'm looking forward to seeing how they actually do because it's it's different. It's nice. I'm not going to watch Spurs lose seven nil to Bayern again. So. Quick question then, could Newcastle kind of edge Spurs out of that top six or big six in the Premier League now the fact that they've got money behind them? I don't know. It's a difficult one because you would say, yeah, okay, they're better at the moment. But that big six is there on historic, over a long period of time, that was the big, that was the top six. Well, obviously, but still, Tottenham are the only team that, you know, haven't won a title in. Um, well, Newcastle, have ne Newcastle have never won anything. Exactly. Yeah, true. You know, the last thing Newcastle won was in the 50s. That Yeah, but that's my point. So, if, and, if, until if, they, if, sorry, until they start winning stuff on a consistent basis, no. They might be in the Champions League, but, you know, Le Leicester were there. Yeah, Leicester were there. Win a League Cup, and then you've matched Tottenham, and then we can have that conversation. Win an FA Cup that you've beaten Tottenham, then we can have that conversation. Yeah, it won't be long till they win something. You know, they played 
really well this season and they, they played the final against United at Wembley and it just didn't just didn't work. Yeah. You know, a couple of weeks later they played United at St James's Park and completely utter, and utterly battered them. It's just that experience of being there. They've been there. They know what it's like to lose a final. Similar to Arsenal and losing the league. It's experience for next season. I wouldn't be surprised if next season they won something. Be it the okay. FA Cup or the League Cup. So, hot take. Arsenal title winners next season and Newcastle in two or three years' time having won something officially edging Tottenham out of the big six? Uh, Arsenal aren't winning the league. <laughs> I, they're not winning it next year. Are you taking the piss? I just thought I'd My, throw some incendiary comments out there, you know? Hot take. Newcastle will, will win something before Arsenal do. Ooh. Okay. I'm saying, saying it now. Clip it, put it out there. I don't care. I'm there saying it go. now. So let's leave Newcastle, who have yet to win something. Yes. And... Oh, sorry. Before we leave, I just want to talk about Jason Tindall and his thirst for the camera. <laughs> because I've noticed it. There was a Twitter page made. And once you notice it, you can't not see it. Yeah, you so can't unsee it. They played Bournemouth. And obviously, Gary O'Neill went over to shake Eddie Howe's hand. Jason Tindall's there, puts his hand out. Gary O'Neill completely swerves it and goes for Eddie Howe. He's every time the Newcastle bench is, is on camera where, you know, they're supposed to be filming Eddie Howe. He's there. And he's last just, time, man, He's making sure that he gets uh, he gets his airtime. He he's making sure he's got his 15 minutes of fame. Exactly. But last night, when Anthony Gordon was getting some last-minute, like, notes before he came on, and I sent this to you, uh, the <laughs> caption was, uh, all right, mate, I know we'll be live on TV right now, so I just thought I'd come over and get on camera. Just not as if I've said something really clever. <laughs> It's like a game, drinking game. Every time you see Jason Tindall, have a drink. It'll be, you'll probably be pretty drunk if you watch just like two or three of uh, <laughs> Newcastle's matches. <laughs> so let's leave Newcastle now. And yeah, I'll 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 save you the pain of having to introduce. I can't say it. The I was about to say the Premier League champions. Of twenty of the twenty twenty two twenty twenty three season, Manchester City. Now, before the season, you know, I think we we've we've it's like flogging a dead horse at this point. We've said it so often. You know, the hot takes on Erling Haaland not you know performing and whatnot. My question then to you is: Was Erling Haaland the missing puzzle piece for Manchester City? They are on course for a treble at this point. Well, that, that's like saying, is Lionel Messi the missing piece for Barcelona? You put a fantastic player in a team, it's going to make them better. You put a fantastic you, player... You just, you just, you just hang made on, the, on. the comparison. <laughs> hang on. You put a fantastic player in an already fantastic team managed by a fantastic manager, it should come as no surprise to anybody when that team is fantastic. So Haaland and Messi, there's already be a, a small comparison being thrown around there. No, no? I mean, man, he scored 36 <laughs> league goals. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So at the moment, 
obviously, ah, there it is. obviously there it is. <laughs> to have that comparison, it needs to be over the course of like 10, 15 years. Yeah, okay. Well, you know, I think Liverpool fans know how it feels. Arsenal held first place for the longest time. I believe it was 264 days, if I if I remember the stat correctly. Yet City still win the Premier League. You know, Liverpool season 2018-19 as well as 2021-22 with Liverpool losing it on the final day. Um, you know, now we'll see Liverpool and Arsenal fans arm in arm trying to console each other because City yet again have snatched away the title. You know, it's it's hard to know where to start with the plaudits. I think one person who, alongside Erling Haaland, should be getting some more praise is Jack Grealish. I've seen some things on Twitter where someone was like, Jack Grealish for $100 million was an absolute robbery. How have they gotten him for so little money? I don't know if it's an absolute robbery if you pay $100 million for a player unless it's Messi or Ronaldo in their prime. Um, I'll just leave that there. But how much of a how much of an impact has Jack Grealish had now? Because, you know, he had some problems, if you will, starting out at City when he first moved. Yeah, but I think that's just dealing with the expectation of the price tag. Dealing with a team that isn't fighting relegation like Aston Villa were. Dealing with a team that are expected to be nines and tens out of ten most weeks. Yeah. He's dealt with it and he's playing bloody well. I mean, please never media train him. Same with Erling Haaland. Never <laughs> ever media train them. But he's playing well. And Pep Guardiola is not a manager who picks a player willy-nilly. There's a reason he's gone for Jack Grealish. Yeah. It was the same reason when people were going, oh, but City plays so much better when Haaland doesn't play. Okay, yeah, but there's a reason Pep wanted Haaland. If City had, if the the board of directors at City had gone, oh, we want to sign Erling Haaland, and Pep Guardiola had gone, no, I want someone more fluid who can play that false nine or whatever. Fair enough. You could understand it, but there's a reason he'd want the players he has. Yeah. You know, what he's done with John Stones. It's been a revelation this season, John Stones. Easily one of the best centre-backs in the Premier League. You know, moving him into midfield when they don't have, when they have the ball. Yeah. Or moving one of the full, you know, and you essentially play a back three with more midfielders and you just dominate when you've got the ball. It, he is literally what Upamecano wishes he was because the amount of times Upamecano just goes forward like John Stones does and then loses the ball is the equivalent of the amount of times that John Stones goes forward and actually plays a brilliant ball behind or between the lines of the opponent. Well, Johan Cruyff had total football that Guardiola played in. Yeah. Guardiola now has this, I don't know, inverted fullback, inverted centre-half thing. It's like a hybrid of total football and tiki-taka all mixed into one with a behemoth at the top. Exactly. <laughs> you know who scores. Give it, 
18 months, most teams will be playing it, if not trying to play it. Liverpool already do, because with Trent, Trent does yeah. Yeah. So Klopp has clearly looked at that, what's gone on with John Stones, because you look at it and it's like, well, they're not playing a right back. They're yeah. playing, you know, left back, centre back, centre back, and a centre back at right back. But that centre back at right back is John Stones, yeah. who moves in alongside Rodri, allowing De Bruyne, Bernardo Silva, Gundogan, Gundogan. Prime Zidane. <laughs> He I'm hasn't pulling signed, that comparison he, there. He hasn't signed that contract extension yet. If they lose him, that's massive. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, I don't, I don't know. If for me, also one person who's not, who kind of flies under the radar, Akanji. We both said at Dortmund, what is this guy doing? He's, you know, he's a liability at the back. He's not the guy that Dortmund need. And now for Manchester City, apparently, like, all of a sudden, it's just a completely changed player. You know, Kyle Walker, as well, had Vinny Jr. in his back pocket for two legs over the Champions League uh, semifinals. So many players have kind of had their, you know, second spring, almost. You know, with Kyle Walker a couple of years ago, everyone was like, ooh, don't know how long he's going to survive at City, really. Um, and then, you know, Akanji was sold off as an afterthought almost from by Dortmund. You know, Dortmund were, you know, thinking, oh, my God, how have we gotten 30 million for him? And now he's showing that he's worth that, if not more. I think that's the difference between a good manager and one of the best managers. You get that bit extra out of players. I mean, he's he's not sentimental at all. No. You saw it with Jao Cancelo. You don't fit in, you're out. Yeah. And I think that probably sent a bit of a warning sign. If you don't play well, you just won't play at all. I mean, look at Laporte. Doesn't start at the moment. And he was one yeah, of he's their. Not, he's not getting a look in. No, you know, he's one of their best centre backs in in the last couple of years. So you've put this question down: Is Guardiola the greatest manager of all time if he wins the treble? Yeah, I stand by that. I'm going to say no because he's not the only person to have done it. But. Guardiola winning the treble with two different teams is my rebuttal to that. Because he's done, he's won the treble with two different teams. He has reinvented every single team he's ever managed. You know, take a look at Bayern, the way they played under him, or now Manchester City. No matter where he goes, he reinvents teams. That's just a fact. And you know, there were a lot of people who doubted him when he came to City at the beginning, 2016. There were those people I think, the heads checking. Yeah. Well, I mean, in my opinion, if he wins the treble with two different teams, he is basically, you know, completing his managerial uh, record. He is basically completing his career. Everything after that is just icing on the cake. Yeah, fine. He can do it this season, then he can retire. Fine, do it. Retire. He obviously, he won't retire, but, you know, he's I managed, think if he... 
manage the Spanish national team. And win a world. If he won a World Cup, he would be. We wouldn't even be having this conversation, obviously. But you know, it gives off a little bit of the same vibe as Messi completing his career and basically completing football with his World Cup win. It is kept because it is for Guardiola. This Champions League with another team other than Barca has been this elusive. Yeah, this elusive goal that is really kind of been hounding him or the media have kind of hounded him with it ever since he left Barcelona. All I'm going to say is it's easy to win with the best teams. That's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to say any more on it because I like Guardiola. I think he's a fantastic manager, but it's easy to walk into a country and go, okay, I'm going to manage the best team in that league. Were City really the best yes. team in the league, though, when they came in? Yes. What they they on... weren't by a mile. They what weren't by a mile. What are you on about? No, they weren't by a mile. They are now. Exactly. They that's, were what I, still, that's what they I'm was, saying. They were and still the best they were team. One, they, they may have been the best team, but it wasn't by much. And for me, it is the fact that he has come and come out and basically taken City to being from being the be- one of the best teams, if not the best team, to being, being the best team by a country mile. Like, there is no doubt about it. They are the best team in Europe at the minute. And they are way, way away from the rest of the big six. That's just a fact. And that, for me, is, you know, the whole point. Yes, he took over, you know, yeah, arguably the best team at that time. But if you can take the best team at that time and then make people think it wasn't even that great of a team, that is something special. Yeah, but no one's saying that about this city side. Well, if if he left and they were managed by Steve Bruce, they'd still probably win the league. They wouldn't storm it, but they'd still win the league because you've got the best players who know how to play football. Yeah, but they've been taught exactly how they're playing by Guardiola. None of them had a clue as to how to play in this specific way. And for me, it's the, you know, it's like you said, getting players to do, you know, to to reach their full potential, like Jack Grealish, like John Stones, like Manuel Hakanji, like uh, Kyle Walker, Ikai Gundogan. He made every single player at City better than I think anyone could have thought of that City team. And because a lot of people already said, you know, there isn't anything that's getting better about that City team. I have nothing else constructive to say. (laughs) Do let us know your opinions on Pep Guardiola and Manchester City. But let's finish by having a brief look at the relegation battle in the Premier League because one team is already down, similar to the Bundesliga, Three teams potentially ready to go down. So Leeds and Leicester, both on 31 points. Everton are on 33. Leicester have to beat West Ham on Sunday and hope that Everton lose to Bournemouth. If Leeds and Leicester both win and Everton lose, Leeds and Everton will go down because Leicester have a better goal difference than Leeds. And they'll have a point more than Everton. Yeah. If Everton win, it makes no difference. It's just academic. 
your hot take who do you see going down who do you see staying up what do you think is the everton win the most probable outcome probably i mean bournemouth and west ham are already on the beach so that's leicester and everton with a slight advantage Leeds have a difficult one because they've got Tottenham. They are at Elland Road, though. Yeah. I'm not sure that makes any difference, to be honest, because I've said it before. They play their bloody... They play crowd music through the speakers. I'm not not buying into that fantastic Elland Road atmosphere. So, they've got... But Spurs, you know, need a win to try and get some European football. Yeah. You know, they need to win and hope that Aston Villa don't to try and get Conference League. Although Spurs, it would probably suit them better to not have to play on a Thursday every single week. I think what's best for the league, because we're getting Sheffield Sheffield Wednesday, no we're not, we're getting Sheffield United and Burnley, a different Burnley, Vincent Company's Burnley, not your Brexit long ball Burnley. And potentially one of Luton or Coventry, and I'm really don't have a choice about who I'd prefer. Um, <laughs> if Luton came up, they either have to pay like 10, 15 million to redo Kenilworth Road to make it up to code for the Premier League, yeah, or they yeah. share with MK Dons at Stadium MK. So either way, uh, and Coventry, yeah, yeah fine. Leeds I I think on the course of the whole season all three of them deserve to go down it's just lucky for one of them Southampton are worse (laughs) so it's difficult because it's one of those ones Everton have never been relegated that would be a Schalke-esque one of yeah. the founding league members, never been relegated. I think they're the only one that hasn't been relegated. Yeah, Everton are one of six who have never been relegated from the Premier League. They've never been relegated from Division One. Yeah, yeah. You know, Leicester, obviously, a matter of years ago, were winning the league. And I hope Leeds go down and I hope it takes them another 17 to come back up again. That's not biased at all, is it? No, it's not. It's just, (laughs) I didn't like them to get to begin with, but it really, really made my piss boil when everyone was calling them Cavalier. They're not Cavalier. They just can't fucking defend. (laughs) You look at them against West Ham. They lost 3-1. Okay, yeah, they scored first. But you look at the goals they conceded. (laughs) I have seen better defending from a Sunday league team full of pissed, overweight, balding men. <laughs> and Luke Ayling and Pascal Strauch and Robin Cock and all that, they get paid so much money to not defend properly. So, and also, Leeds fans are so funny because they seem to have this massive conspiracy. Everyone's against Leeds and it's the most hilarious thing in the world. Like, oh, that referee. That referee's an Everton fan. That's why he didn't give that penalty. No, he's not. You're just shit. 
<laughs> to think that Robin Koch used to be a Freiburg player. Just just let that sink in. I can't cope. But again, it's another one we can unpack next week. And next week, we will also give you a combined team of the season for both divisions. But I think that's probably a good place to leave it. True, right, Billy. And as always, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to AT Sports News on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And make sure to check out the 50 Plus One Football Podcast on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, and Spotify. But thank you very much for listening, guys. Keep calm and love the beautiful game.